there's a lot of sad stuff in the world. A lot of sad things. But Abs, I think what happened to you today is probably the saddest thing ever. Several sunflowers were murdered by the man who mows my lawn. When we moved into our house, we had planted a bunch of stuff in the beds in our backyard. And a couple of things that we planted were some sunflowers. And the sunflowers weren't growing. They weren't growing. The birds were eating the seeds and it just wasn't happening. And then the birds pooped at the seeds, what I think, because they got all moved around. They're not where I placed them. So like Earth just wanted me to have these sunflowers because the poop seeds grew. And then the poop seeds were like waist high and they were doing great. And there were seven of them, seven sunflowers. And today I came home and the man who mowed my lawn just chopped them all down. But I guess he thought they were weeds. But he left one of the beds of weeds that we do have just full of weeds and only chopped down my sunflowers, and I cried about it. Damn. R.I.P. Are you having a funeral? I might. That's what this episode is. This, this funeral, entire episode yeah, This is episode a is a funeral to my sunflowers. Well, we now have a moment of silence for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 30 minutes later. But this isn't the only sad thing that we're going to be talking about today. What are we talking about today, Abs? It's not that sad. We are talking about science journalism and science communication, specifically environmental science and environmental journalism. Sounds pretty depressing to me if you've been reading the news lately. Okay. That's a big issue in our whole science world. It's called climate despair. Or climate burnout. Um, I'm feeling pretty burnt out after this heat wave that we've had down here in DC. <laughs> I don't know about you, but ah, Ramel, is it as hot in New York as it is in DC? Well, let me put it in perspective. I never sweat from my forehead, and I am now. You never sweat from your forehead. Yeah. Wow. Or I my wish I had that superpower, general, but it's happening. So the idea of climate despair as the name explains, is just basically the feeling of like hopelessness in regard to climate change. And it's something that journalists are trying to sort of come at, but it's tricky because at the same time, they're also balancing being not alarmist enough. So like not calling it climate change what it is or like, not leaning towards the the projections of like the worst case scenario so are are we talking right now about journalists or are we talking about scientific communicators as like like you would read like a scientific journal are we talking about like the everyday like cnn so uh, what i'm talking about is the everyday journalist or the everyday major news outlet journalists science communicators are like a whole separate thing that I can get into later. Um, But specifically more so like what I'm speaking about when we're talking about not being alarmist enough or leaning too far to the depressing despair where people like don't even want to read your paper anymore because they're so upset that they're like, well, I can't do anything. Um that's like your everyday news outlet environmental reporter. There's a really great story that was 
published in the New York Times like a year or two ago. Uh, Ramel, I think you're no- going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, the um, the Uninhabitable Earth, David mm-hmm. Wallace Wells. There was an article that I believe he turned into a book now um, that basically is darkest timeline of what could happen if we don't address climate change now. And I think that's a great example of like complete climate despair is like, he, that's like that's one way of phrasing it where it's like everyone's gonna die the world's on fire there's yeah. no point like and there's nihilism a, there's a lot of media like that there's like um the sixth degree and like all these outlets that like are all about like well the world is ending this is the worst case scenario which i think tends to really bum you out so journalists lean towards the not sounding the alarm so extreme but when that happens you need to find a balance of those two things where you're telling the facts and you're still explaining to people what can be done how to like combat these things where we can make these changes without absolutely making them feel like there's nothing left there's no worth left and also like despite depicting the extremeness of the situation there's an in-between i I feel like that in-between is kind of difficult to find though i mean you know better than i do like how to communicate complex things but uh there's this idea with like people have like like a a pool of care and like people can only like humans are only capable of looking (laughs) yeah people are only able to look so far ahead and like care about things on like only certain timescales and i think that like environmental issues like extinction climate change these big things are like too big for people that are the average person that's like struggling to put food on the table to think about yeah so i think there's two like main things involved in that um which is science communicating is really hard because you don't want to oversimplify too much. Because if you oversimplify too much, it makes the science confusing. Um, and it leads to, like, misinformation and, like, the insane, like, science denial that we have. But you don't want to make it so complicated where the average person without a degree in science can't understand. The other part is science scientists until recently generally speaking have little to no communication backgrounds that's changing which is awesome but if you talk to your average six-year-old nerd they're not going to know how to like break things down for the average person um which has really hurt a lot of movements because they're doing this awesome research like really cool stuff and then they can't explain that and why it's important a lot of colleges are like integrating communications classes into stem degrees which is like so so fucking important um and then the i guess there's three things i said too the third thing is like human-centered stories so being able to take these like big like climate change and like issues and be like this is how it affects grandparents with asthma in dc in your neighborhood or like this is how it affects this one kid living in detroit or this is how it affects this one new york family um and like turning these big big climate like scary 
the ice is melting issues into like this is how this indigenous community is being specifically affected by this because that's how people wrap their heads around things it's funny that you bring up indigenous communities and communities eh. um because thinking about this whole like trying to communicate long-term like long-term impacts the environment in particular to people we can look back at like historical records and look at like many indigenous communities and many like aboriginal peoples like they looked at like their actions in like terms and in like scales of like seven generations away mm-hmm. uh so I, I think that would that's like an interesting note to bring up so 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 covering more concrete stories like about climate change is like the way to go right like emphasizing the the human nature aspect of climate change and like focusing on the like necessity to act i think that that's really like how we get the quote-unquote and i hate this term but we use it a lot in communications layman whatever layman whatever that means but like the average person to like really tune in to stories that are bigger climate change stories is to be like this is how this is going to impact your community i think it was um nat geo did like a such an interesting uh really cool map where you could look at your city and see what it's going to look like in 2050 after climate change happens is new york safe please no No. it's underwater bro (laughs) we are swimming yeah but like so is most of the east coast so but plattsburgh were a-okay right yo plattsburgh were high and dry yeah more ticks though probably 100 percent more ticks Why, why do you think like print media does like like a far better job on reporting environmental crises than like network television? Because like I'm for, for me, I would assume that network television, since you know a lot of it is live coverage, would be like, hey, this just happened, and you know cover that. But I feel like that more print media does a better job at that. Part of it, just like from my non, like I don't have a comms background, but I like coming from a place of sociology, it's you want to think about like what is catching people's attentions and um, how like you look at like CNN, MSNBC, Fox, um, how they like all those broadcasts, like they make money, (laughs) like they're corporations, their purpose is yes to tell us the news but also to like get ratings and get people to watch and be engaged so like now at least in the past like climate change has been happening so slow and environmental like degradation and environmental impacts happen at like a pace that is so slow until it's not like they they cover oil spills they cover hurricanes they cover tornadoes and floods but they're not equipped because of like ratings to handle long-term slow moving disaster i feel like that that kind of like creates the whole like the climate change debate like you know that 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 um people think it's a debate when you know there's scientific evidence that it's real that you know instead of pointing to one side that climate change is real you have this debate which makes you know 
more views and then people talk about it instead of just like settling for an answer that yes this is real and then people you know if people are watching the news and they're talking about climate change you know it's it's more exciting if it's a debate and obviously you know the news network is going to get more views if it's a debate instead of like saying this is happening 100 percent. so two things so like with the print media versus broadcast um print media you can do like a more evergreen story in print media where it can be like a month-long investigation like unless you're really watching like maybe 60 minutes like your everyday like broadcast isn't gonna like you were saying like they're covering like this is happening right now which is often like big things tied to climate change but it's hard for people to like put all those pieces into being like this is all climate change the second thing is yeah the whole like climate denialism debate that shit's fucking crazy um because i think we're getting better at it i think we see less climate deniers on tv than we might have seen like five years ago but we've done such a damn like we've really really damaged the entire like scientific climate community and like spread such a um, mistrust in the science community by having by elevating the voices of climate deniers to like this 50 50 status because of it's it's a lot of because of like the fairness decree which is like we should give both sides a 50 50 shot at this debate but when you have 90 percent of scientists saying something is true and then 10 percent being like well i don't know like we're not really sure and you elevate that 10 percent to that like 50 50 status then it just seems like it's this really true like debate that's happening and like news outlets like you're saying like they love that shit that gets views like that fight between bill nye and some crazy scientist who's being paid by heritage like is gonna get a view and i also think that people don't realize like how much money is like truly pumped or Again, less so now, but there's a ton of money from conservative think tanks that was pumped into the whole like climate denial, um, like system. It was truly like incredibly built. That was based off the fact that scientists are bad communicators. They knew that, and they pumped a ton of money into it. And beautifully, honestly, great, great example of good PR we're able to like create this whole debate that doesn't exist. Um, I think we're getting better about give, like giving science deniers less airtime, but as journalists who, you know, don't have a PhD and like whatever, they're like, Oh, half scientists say this and half of them say this, like, let's have these two people on a talk show. I I've noticed over the past, like couple months being down here in DC Uh, like from all the hearings that I've been to and just like seeing being close to government I've noticed that like like there's like committees on climate change now that are addressing it like the house natural resource committee like they are like there's more people listening and addressing the fact that climate change is real and they're just taking it as it is and they're not it's not like it doesn't seem like a debate anymore in government Mm -hmm. at least for the most part thankfully how do like we as an environmental movement now go the extra step and like push a media narrative forward that like 
to 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 reach the goals that we need to reach what would you suggest would be like a couple of good steps to take i'd like to preface this with i am two years into my comms degree <laughs> like i'm not an expert whatsoever but i have listened to experts talk um npr joe palka of hire me sponsor us but he's like the main science reporter on npr mm-hmm. um and i heard him talk in one of my classes he's like a really cool dude um but with that i think are you asking from from the media standpoint or from the scientist standpoint both so i think the media is getting their shit together with this where it's like let's listen to what the big scientists are saying and but like i think so this is hard and i because science and journalism seem like they should align, right? Because, like, they're both, like, facts, facts, facts. Let's just, like, straight news. But the it's hard because science has this, like, whimsical side to it where they're like, but we don't know. Like, every single scientific paper you read ends with, like, more research, yeah. right? Like... Yeah, like you, like in science, it's like you're not trying to prove anything. In science, you're trying to disprove the previous belief. And you're trying to constantly question things. Journalism wants like a hard answer right now. Like they want the facts only, and they want to be able to say this is what it is. And scientists well, tend to be like, well, we don't well, know. Well, what I'm asking is, is that there are hard facts. Like there are plans of out. Course, like of like course. yeah, but like for fixing uh, the like, let's keep on the climate crisis. Right. Like fixing that, there are things that can be done. There's legislation that can be put forth, but like there's this divide between the environmental movement and the a good portion of the American people and American politicians. What role is the media going to play in trying to explain the urgency of the situation and trying to like get people to see that the environment, like. I hate to use this phrase, but like the environmental agenda, like our like the plan to fix the climate crisis is good for all people, basically. Yeah, I think something that's really interesting is like the rise of scientists who have become activists for their work. Um, that's something that's important. Um, because they're advocating for the research that they're doing. Um, and I also think that the science community needs to like they scientists hate getting political but they kind of need to they kind of need to get there they need to be like this is the best plan for this issue um and sort of come they're never kind of come to come to a total consensus but like really stand up and like be those voices of reason and be like this is the statistics, here's the math, here's the physics, here's the biology behind, like, why this is going to work. Should So then should the role of the media be able... Be, because if you go up to a person in a rural community who isn't immediately... Who, like, might not... They have a high school education, they don't... They might have a two-year college degree. They... How do you bridge the gap between the scientists with the numbers and the statistics and the facts. How do you bridge the gap between them and the person who isn't capable of, or or of 
taking the raw data and the raw knowledge and breaking it down and like seeing how it affects them directly. The role, that's the role of the journalist, is to take that information from the scientists and to say, this is how this is going to affect your family next year. All this data, all this plans, all this whatever, this is how this natural disaster can affect your job. This is how these changes are going to make your life less stable. This is how these positive changes can make you jobs. So like that's where the role of the communi- communicator comes in because who has time? Like what kind of average American maybe working more than one job with a family and like shit going on in their lives has time to like really break that stuff down? That's what journalists are supposed to do. That's their whole job is to be breaking that down. So that's where communicators come in. That kind of like reminds me of like Planet Forward, the idea of like creating, you know, storytelling. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like, am so glad you brought it yeah, up. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's. Um. Oh yeah. yeah. Do, do you want me to go into it? I mean, I was gonna like when I did my podcast when I was in China. Yeah, I had like all these facts and stuff, but you know, I created it into a you know a story so it could be you know digestible easier i feel like when you're making it into a into into a story that's relatable then like people will catch on to it and won't be feel like um overwhelmed by big statistics or numbers and big you know jargon scientific jargon i loved your podcast from when you were in china quality content just to the listener you should all i'll i Sponsor will post us, it Ramel. for you ramel pacheco if you're listening at ramel can you please listening. sponsor us but yeah that's a that's a great point that you bring up like like you did you, you like there was parts in your podcast from china just like a little spoiler but where like you were riding on a bike and like there was like you were talking to someone they were speaking in Chinese and it was like super on the ground like it felt very personal and planet forward the reason that this podcast has started uh, is uh, environmental news organization that is based out of the George Washington University School of Media Studies and Communications uh, and it was started by former CNN anchor Frank Sesno um, and what they do is, is they partner with students from universities across the country to have them tell stories like the one that you did, Ramel, and like the one that we're trying to tell in all the episodes here. I think also... Sponsor us, Planet Forward, please. You know, <laughs> Don't they already basically they, sponsor you? They technically do, but <laughs> keep, keep retweeting us, please. Um, I I think another thing here, which is like cool and hopeful is that um uh, the younger generations uh, gen-, gen z and millennials um as talking before about like your average nerd can't break stuff down for you the majority of the generations like the, the younger generation is so media literate which is great because your like average physicist can like figure out how to tweet his science and like figure out how to like podcast and do all that stuff because they're just like so they're born in it um so that's like super hopeful too because 
the more media literate and communications brained people are the more informed others are going to be which is just like really you know it's like so cool to see like there's so much interesting science communications and environmental communications out there right now so that's another thing twitter is not all evil i'm worried about media bubbles and so like one of the things that's super important with this is that over the past couple of years, I've like we've noticed that on major news platforms, like it's climate has become less of a debate. But now I feel like that debate has shifted not on one news platform, but it's shifted between the left and the right, and right. the two media spheres that like each occupy. Um, and I think that that is going to be super destructive. How can do either of you have any ideas on how we can try to like? pop those bubbles and try to bring the important message that like environmental protection is, is for everybody, not just for a few. Honestly, just make it like relatable, like find like keep. Yeah. Yeah. Relatable contact. I feel like if you have certain stories and if you could, and you know, stories are, you can make them dramatic. You can make them any way possible to make it. You can make a story as relatable as possible. Your, your imagination is what, you know, is, is limitless with the, with the, with the, um, the story that you're presented with that you did your research on that you went out um, discovering. And then honestly, just, doing your best to make it relatable to um, as many people as possible. Or you could just focus on one group, like a conservative, and like craft a story from your research that is relatable to this person. I think that's like the best way, honestly. Just make everything relatable as possible and be like, hey, now you understand that it's also affecting X, Y, Z. That's a good note in general for everything yeah. you do in life. <laughs> yeah. I also think, um, like, with climate change specifically, Americans are really, like, growing on that issue quickly. Um, the ma- a growing majority of Americans think global warming is happening. Whether that's, like, if, I think that the debate is switching towards, like, well, is it going to affect me personally? Is it going to affect, like, my, the economy? Is it going to affect my income? But that's what we're talking. We're not saying, is it real so much anymore? Um, Which is really crucial because a lot of, like, the climate change fixes can benefit the economy like the green new deal and all of these things are like job creating theoretically bipartisan ideas um so we can debate that like i'm happy to debate like the best way to like shift sustainably and grow jobs and like make sure that families don't go under literally figuratively but like yikes 
dark humor. Um, like it's that's cool. I, I'll debate that any day. What I'm not going to debate with someone is like if the science is real. Um, but it's it's looking like hopeful because a lot of Americans believe in the science. They're just saying, well, is this going to affect how I'm going to put food on my plate? You know, next week, is this going to affect my job security? And like, I think that's a flaw of the environmental movement. Like we haven't, we haven't branded ourselves as like job people, as like economy growers. We've branded ourselves as tree huggers, which we are, which I am. Like this is not like, <laughs> like everyone. Yeah. It, but like, we need to make sure that we're reaching those people and what they care about. Um, because those concerns are absolutely valid. Um, and make sure that like, they're not being fucking bamboozled. Like the whole, like, like the, the energy sector, like our oil and coal, like that's gonna run out and those jobs are going to be lost. We need to put in place green jobs and we need to like grow that sector and make sure that those people like do have some sort of security and healthcare and all those things because right now people are being bamboozled. And that gets into a future episode that we're going to have on the Green New Deal and on uh, solutions for environmental issues in the future. One last question that I have for both of you. Uh, we talked a lot about like we talked a lot about like how to get the environmental movement to communicate with conservative and rural Americans, but I think we've kind of lost sight of how to communicate environmental issues to um, minority communities that are going to be severely affected by them, but aren't necessarily going to completely understand what they can do, even like if they're struggling, like what can be done by those communities? How do we tell those communities about what they can do about what's happening? The unfortunate truth is that climate change is going to affect poor and minority people first, and they're going to be hit the hardest. And it sucks even more because these people and people of lower socioeconomic class and minority groups have less resources to be fixing these things. Like your everyday American doesn't have time to be at the climate protest and doesn't have time to read the five page New York times article about the change, the small changes you can make in your day and like, doesn't have time to be fucking like zero waste and vegan. Um, but I think like you can, that can be a rallying point for these communities. The fact that they are going to unfairly be more affected by these things. For more information on environmental inequality, Go check out episode six, pot stocks and environmental <laughs> inequality. Um, I feel like every episode we say this, it's a system thing. It's the systems that are in place. We did it. Boom. Yeah, it, happened. it happened. 34 yeah. minutes in, 
we brought up systems. This is like this is like the um what they say in every Star Wars movie. Uh May the force be with you. No, the the other thing. The Wow, I cannot believe I'm drawing a dry blank. But anyways, but like I said, it's more of a it's more of a systems issue. Sure, um people that are marginalized don't have time to attend, you know, a protest or you know, read up on maybe maybe read up on like the little things that you could do, but it's they could marginalized people in marginalized groups can only go so far. It's like the whole yeah, I could like start I could start using less plastic, but you know, the 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 billion dollar corporation is still like melting a bunch of shit that's polluting the atmosphere. So, you know what I mean? It's not saying that, you know, what you do doesn't make a difference, but it'll make a way bigger difference if, you know, one corporation failed. Yeah. And I I, (laughs) I think, I think like bringing it back to like communicators and storytellers and journalists, like make sure your, your storytelling is honest to those communities like does your is your newsroom diverse is your your communications office diverse do you have people to tell the stories of marginalized groups um and are you like actively making sure that those stories are being told appropriately and fully um and when you when you do that when you're like journalism is truly like diverse and active and all those things like then your climate change coverage is also going to be that way um so yeah i started this podcast with an episode uh where i interviewed a geographer and an artist named molly and when I started this podcast, my idea with it was to tell the stories of people who were working in the environmental movement, who were trying to do the things that basically save the world, change the world, make it better in some way. And since then, I've shifted the podcast, obviously, towards more of a talk show format. And why I did that comes down to, I think everybody has the ability to tell a story about the environment, their connection to it. And I think that is something that is going to have to be a cornerstone of the environmental movement over the next 10 years while we are dealing with the last, our last chance to solve the environmental issues that we're facing. So we are here doing this podcast to try to make these things a bit less daunting, trying to make these issues a bit less daunting and make them more approachable to people with the hope that everyone listening can take the stuff that they get from us and then go to their homes or go to their places of work and see these systems and these connections to the environment in action 
and tell their story to their friends, to their family, to the people around them, to their networks. And if everybody does that, then all communities, if people in rural America, if people in urban areas, if all my minority communities are given this power, given this knowledge of how their lives are affected by this, then they can tell those stories. So I think that might be the future of communicating these issues is just crowdsourcing the storytelling back to the people. Yeah. Captain Planet, he's a hero. Gonna fight pollution down to zero. Okay. Thank you both for podcasting with me tonight. It's always a motherfucking pleasure. It's been okay. Okay. It's been well, pretty good. Just okay. It's pretty been okay. Still sad about um, my sunflowers. <laughs> it's, this has been a more sad episode, but... Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. to uh, our planet. And, oh, um, okay. thank you. and my sunflowers. Oh, yeah, those two. Thank you for listening to another episode of Pod for the Planet. Um, as always, please... Uh, drop us a rating, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, if you have any questions, shoot us a DM on our Instagram or Twitter. Abby will gladly message you back on those. Uh, yeah, gladly. Maybe. Please, if you have any thoughts about this episode, leave a comment uh, under us on iTunes. It's super helpful and it helps us move up in this search directory. Yeah. I think that's and the word. And we also want to know what you think. We want to know what you think. We care um, about if you. If you have an environmental story that you think should be told, be it your beach is eroding or someplace that you loved as a kid is disappearing because of climate change, send us a message. Let us know. We could have you on the podcast or we could tell your story a little bit. We'd love to do that. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>